Chapter Two of the Secret Mark by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Chapter Two. Elusive Shakespeare. The sun had been up for more than an hour when, on the following morning, Lucille lifted her head sleepily and looked at the clock. Sunday morning. I'm glad she exclaimed as she leaped out of bed and raced away for a cold shower. As she dressed, she experienced a sensation of something unfinished, and at the same time a desire to hide something, to defend someone. At first she could not understand what it all meant. Then, like a flash, the occurrence of the previous night flashed upon her. Oh, that, she breathed. She was surprised to find that her desire to shield the child had gained tremendously in strength while she slept. Perhaps there are forces we know nothing of, which work on the inner hidden chambers of our mind while we sleep, and having worked there, leave impressions which determine our very destinies. Lucille was not enough of a philosopher to reason this all out. She merely knew that she did not want to tell anyone of the strange incident, no, not even her roommate. And in the end, that was just what happened. She told no one. When she went back to her work on Monday night, a whole busy day had passed in the library. Thousands of books had shot up the dummy elevator to have their cards stamped and to be given out. Thousands had been returned to their places on their shelves. Was a single book missing? Were two or three missing? Lucille had no way of knowing. Every book that had gone out had been recorded, but to look over these records, then to check back and see if others were missing, would be the work of weeks. She could only await developments. She was surprised at the speed with which these developments came. Mr. Downers, the superintendent, was noted for his exact knowledge regarding the whereabouts of the books which were under his care. She had not been working an hour when a quiet voice spoke to her, and with a little start she turned to face her superior. "'Miss Tucker,' the librarian smiled, "'do you chance to have any knowledge of the whereabouts of the first volume of our early edition of Shakespeare?' "'Why, no,' the girl replied quickly. "'Why, er—' There was a catch in her throat. "'Is it gone?' Mr. Downers nodded as he replied. "'Seems temporarily so to be. Misplaced, no doubt. We'll show up later.' He was still smiling, but there were wrinkles in his usually placid brow. "'I missed it just now,' he went on. "'Strange, too. I saw it there only Saturday. The set was to be removed from the library to be placed in the Noise Museum. Considered too valuable to be kept in the library. Very early edition, you know.' "'Strange,' he puzzled. "'It could not have been taken out on the car, "'as it was used only in the reference reading room. "'It's not there. "'I just phoned. "'However, it will turn up. "'Don't worry about it.' "'He turned on his heel and was gone. "'Lucille stared after him. "'She wanted to call him back, "'to tell him that it was not all right, "'that it would not turn up, that the strangely quaint little person she had seen in the library at midnight had carried it away. Yet she said not a word, merely allowed him to pass away. It was as if there was a hand over her mouth forbidding her to speak. 
There can't be a bit of doubt about it, she told herself. That girl was standing right by the shelf where the ancient Shakespeare was kept. She took it. I wonder why. I wonder if she'll come back. Why, of course she will. For the other volumes. Or to return the one she has. Perhaps tonight. Two volumes were too heavy for those slim shoulders. She'll come back and then she shan't escape me. I'll catch her in the act. Then I'll find out the reason why. So great was her faith in this bit of reasoning that she resolved that without telling a single person about the affair, she would set a watch that very night for the mysterious child in the elusive Shakespeare. She must solve the puzzle. That night as she sat in the darkened library, listening, waiting, she allowed her mind to recall in a dim and dreamy way the face and form of the mysterious child. As she dreamed thus, there suddenly flashed into the foreground from the deepest depths of her memory the time and circumstance on which she had first seen that child. She saw it all as in a dream. The girl had been dressed just as she was Saturday at midnight. She had entered the stacks. That had been a month before. She had appeared leading an exceedingly old man. Bent with the weight of years, leaning upon a cane, all but blind, the old man had moved with a strangely youthful eagerness. He had been allowed to enter the stacks only by special request. He was an aged Frenchman, a lover of books. He wished to come near the books, to sense them, to see them with his age-dimmed eyes, to touch them with his faltering hands. So the little girl had guided him forward. From time to time he had asked that he be allowed to handle certain volumes. He had touched each with a reverent hand. His touch had resembled a caress. Some few he had opened and had felt along the covers. "'I wonder why he did that,' Lucille had thought to herself. She paused. A sudden thought had flashed into her mind. At the risk of missing her query, she groped her way to the shelf where the companion to the stolen volume lay and took it down. Slowly she ran her fingers over the inner part of the cover. "'Yes,' she whispered. "'There is something.' She dared not flash on the light. To do so might betray her presence in the building. Tomorrow she would see. Replacing the volume in its accustomed niche, she again tiptoed to her post of waiting. As she thought of it now, she began to realize what a large part her unconscious memory had played in her longing to shield the child. She had seen the child render a service to a feeble and all but helpless old man. Her memory had been trying to tell her of this, but had only now broken through into her wakeful mind. Lucille was aroused by the thought. "'I must save her,' she told herself. "'I must. I must.' Even with this resolve came a perplexing question. Why had the child taken the book? Had she done so with the old man's direction? That seemed incredible. Could an old man, tottering to his grave, revealing in spite of his shabby clothing a one-time more than common intellect and a breeding above the average, stoop to theft, the theft of a book? And could he, above all, induce an innocent child to join him in the deed? It was unthinkable. That man, she thought to herself. Why, he had a noble bearing, like a soldier almost, certainly like a gentleman. 
He reminded me of that great old general of his own nation, who said to his men when the enemy were all but upon Paris, They must not pass. Could he stoop to stealing? These problems remained all unsolved, for on that night no slightest footfall was heard in the silent labyrinth. The next night was the same, and the next. Lucille was growing weary, hollow-eyed with her vigil. She had told Florence nothing, yet she had surprised her roommate often looking at her in a way which said, "'Why are you out so late every night? Why don't you share things with your pal?' And she wanted to, but something held her back. Thursday night came with a raging torrent of rain. It was not her night at the library. She would gladly have remained in her cozy room, wrapped in a kimono, studying. Yet, as the chimes pealed out the notes of Auld Lang Syne, telling that the hour of ten had arrived, she hurried into her rubbers and ulster to face the tempest. Wild streaks of lightning faced her at the threshold. A gust of wind seized her and hurried her along for an instant. Then in a wild, freakish turn all but threw her upon the pavement. A deluge of rain, seeming to extinguish the very street light, beat down upon her. "'How foolish I am,' she muttered. "'She would not come on a night like this.' And yet she did come. Lucille had not been in her hiding place more than a half hour when she caught the familiar pit-pat of footsteps. "'This time she shall not escape me,' she whispered, and with bated breath and cushioned footstep she tiptoed toward the spot where the remaining Shakespeare rested. Now she was three stacks away. As she paused to listen, she knew the child was at the same distance in the opposite direction. She moved one stack nearer, then listened again. She heard nothing. What had happened? The child had paused. Had she heard? Lucille's first impulse was to snap on a light. She hesitated, and in hesitating lost. There came a sudden glare of light. A child's face was framed in it, a puzzled, frightened face. A slender hand went out and up. A book came down. The light went out. And all this happened with such incredible speed that Lucille stood glued to her tracks through it all. She leaped toward the dummy elevator, only to hear the faint click which told that it was descending. She could not stop it. The child was gone. She dashed to a window which was on the elevated station side. A few seconds of waiting, and the lightning rewarded her. In the midst of a blinding flash, she caught sight of a tiny figure crossing a broad stretch of rain-soaked green. The next instant, with rubbers in one hand and ulster in the other, she dashed down the stairs. "'I'll get her yet,' she breathed. "'She belongs downtown. She'll take the elevated. There is a car in seven minutes. I'll make it, too. Then we shall see.'" End of Chapter 2